self-driving John Deere tractors were at risk of being hacked, and a $1 trillion infrastructure spending bill in the Senate seeks to boost cybersecurity. These stories and more coming up on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. To the long list of internet-connected things that might not be so secure comes vehicles. And that includes tractors. We turn now to ISMG's Jeremy Kirk to learn more. John Deere's tractors may not look terribly different from tractors from 40 years ago, but there's a big difference. Everything is computerized. Similar to modern vehicles, farm equipment runs highly complex, embedded in proprietary software that connects to the internet. John Deere's equipment constantly transmits data to the cloud from when a farmer sits in a cab to moisture levels in the soil to gauging the size of a harvest. Data has always been really important for farming, but it's now being collected on an unprecedented scale for so-called smart farming or precision agriculture. It allows farmers to reduce costs by using less pesticides and it helps increase yields. All of this means that not only are farmers at the mercy of the elements, but also a new dynamic, cyber risk. And an Australian researcher who goes by the nickname Sick Codes demonstrated at the DEF CON conference earlier this month numerous vulnerabilities he found in tractor manufacturer John Deere's systems. Sick Codes works with an independent security research group called Secura Samurai, which hunts and responsibly discloses security vulnerabilities. The group ended up finding personal information, corporate data, and even in the worst case scenario, could have remotely taken over big pieces of farm equipment. That would have been possible through the researchers' root access to the company's systems, including its operations center. So John Deere's operations center is this comprehensive platform for monitoring and managing farm equipment. Access to a tractor could have many malicious outcomes. Some tractors are autonomous, so someone could direct one into a river or onto a highway. A tractor's ECU could be set to work too hard to fail. More subtle attacks might cause the tractor to lay seed in a way that's slightly off target from where it's supposed to be laid. There's two problems that led to this deep access. Secure Samurai found a vulnerability in a popular business process management tool called Pega. Sick code says Pega often has too many permissions and has administrative access to other systems, not unlike remote monitoring and management software tools like SolarWinds Orion. The Pega vulnerability allowed remote access to Pega's chat access group portal. That bug opened up access to a whole bunch of other resources, including Pega's security audit log and even an OCTA signing certificate. They were also able to export the private key for John Deere's single sign-on SAML server. The issues were so bad in combination that Sick Codes and his group stopped probing Deere's systems further after that happened. Efforts to reach John Deere weren't immediately successful, but in a statement to a publication called The Security Ledger, the company dismissed Sick Codes' findings and said he didn't have access to customer accounts or sensitive personal data. Sick Codes disputes that and tells me that John Deere should just be honest and own up to the issues. And just to clarify, the DEF CON conference closely vets presentations and is actually quite difficult to get a speaking slot. The U.S. government has been concerned about agriculture-related attacks and the industry's considered critical infrastructure. Five years ago, the FBI warned that the sector's increasing dependence on technology increased the potential for cyber attacks. Now, we're seeing just how vulnerable it might be. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. 
ISMG, your number one source for information security news. This week, the U.S. Senate, by a vote of 69 to 30, passed a $1 trillion infrastructure spending bill that would provide additional money for cybersecurity over the next several years, including extra funds for the Department of Homeland Security and its Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Joining me to discuss this is Scott Ferguson, Managing Editor of Gov Info Security. Scott, thanks for being here. Tell me about this bill. What is the focus of this cybersecurity spending? Sure. Well, thanks, Matt, for having me. So just overall, the bill itself is about a trillion dollars in infrastructure spending. It's gotten most of the play in the press about how it's going to be going to roads, to bridges, to airports, massive investment in broadband across the United States. But tucked in there is give or take a billion to about $2 billion worth of spending on cybersecurity. About a billion dollars of that, the majority is going to be grants to local, territorial, state, and tribal governments to improve cybersecurity. Uh, Department of Homeland Security is going to be handing out that money over the next four years in different block grants that they that they will give out to local and state, state governments. So that's really where the majority of the cybersecurity spending is coming from. There's also a large chunk of it, about $550 million worth for the U.S. electrical grid. That's both to modernize it and to add in more security features and defenses within the electrical grid. And the electrical grid is very important because this is one of Biden's signature cybersecurity issues. He's been harping on this since April, that the electrical grid is vulnerable. We need to do more. The infrastructure bill goes towards it. It was kind of neatly folded into that whole package. So this sounds like desperately needed funds to help the likes of local, county, state governments in particular, improve their ability to repel online attacks, especially as we're seeing ransomware all over the place. Same again with the electrical grid. Is this money enough, do you think? Well, that's a really good question, Matt, because actually this money that's going in here is actually one of several bills that have been passed this year or is being looked at this year to fund cybersecurity when they had the stimulus package, which was about $1.9 trillion earlier this year, that included a whole bunch of new money for cybersecurity, um, was going to CISA, was going to Department of Homeland Security. Now you have this bill that's adding another couple billion to it. Then the other portion that happened this week is the Senate moved ahead on the fiscal 2022 federal budget which contains even additional money for cybersecurity. That's still being hashed out. That one's a little bit further off. I don't think the House is not supposed to get to it till later in August. The Senate has to pick it back up again in September. September, It's got to be sent back to committees. So that's going to take a while. But that's, again, more money towards this. So I think you're seeing both in Congress, both parties and the White House saying cybersecurity is needed. We need to include more and more in these different spending bills to get us to where we need. And again, when you're talking about critical infrastructure, that tends to cut across party lines. It tends to be an item that both Republicans and Democrats seem that they want to pick up and move ahead. Like who doesn't want to spend 550 million on electrical grid security? It's a it's a it's a great boon for that industry and it's something the politicians don't mind spending so much of their money on. So, lots of attention and focus being paid 
to infrastructure, cybersecurity issues, the precise dollar figures yet to be worked out. But as you say, it looks like we're going to be seeing some desperately needed infusion, hopefully before too long. That's correct, Matt. And I mean, even so, too, there's even a part of this, too, that we didn't get a chance to talk about what was passed this week by the Senate is $20 million per year for the Cyber Response Recovery Fund, which basically is for federal agencies or private agents, private industry. If you're hit and you're damaged, you can tap into this fund to recover. And that's really a response to some of the ransomware attacks we've seen where it's been damaging, where a business might shut down. Just not even the extortion part of it that I know you write a lot about it, but just the damage that this malicious code does to the infrastructure and, and you need to recover. So again, this is all with Colonial Pipeline and JPS and SolarWinds all kind of floating in the background uh, of this. So you've got the nation state part of it, and you've also got the ransomware part of it, and it's kind of converging together. And I think this is why you're seeing so much spending coming through in really since the April timeframe, so not even a full year. Scott, thanks very much for your legislative insights and sharing them with us today. Anytime, Matt. Thank you very much. The notorious darknet market called AlphaBay existed from December 2014 until mid-2017, when it was disrupted by law enforcement. And its administrator, Canadian citizen Alexandra Cazes, who ran the site from Thailand, was arrested by police. Authorities say he amassed about $23 million thanks to his site charging a commission of 2% to 4% on every transaction. But his riches were short-lived as Kazez was later found dead in his Thai jail cell. Now, someone claiming to be a co-founder and the former security administrator of Alphabay, who's called DeSnake, has relaunched Alphabay. DeSnake claims his impetus is not to cash in on the brand name, but rather to carry forward Kazez's legacy by offering the next generation of marketplaces to aficionados. The snake has signed his communications announcing Alphabet's return with the PGP key previously used by the snake, leading to multiple darknet market watchers saying that he does appear to be the real deal. But whether he's on the up and up or maybe just a front for law enforcement remains unknown. Another red flag is that as the former security administrator of Alphabet, for which the security spectacularly failed, the snake doesn't seem deterred by his own previous shortcomings. This version of Alphabet is going to be better than ever, he claims. The long list of features he's listed include automatic dispute resolution services, a decentralized escrow system meant to protect buyers and sellers' funds from law enforcement takedowns or exit scams. Exit scams refer to a market's administrators leaving a shop to rot while they exit with the funds that were being held in escrow, which often total millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. Next to law enforcement takedowns, exit scams remain one of the leading causes of darknet markets' demise. Unlike the old Alphabet, the new one won't accept bitcoins, but only Monero, which is a more privacy-preserving and reputedly tougher for authorities to trace type of cryptocurrency. Tom Robinson is the chief scientist of blockchain analysis firm Elliptic, he was the first to report on the rise of the new alphabet, and he says that it's following in the footsteps of the current dominant darknet market called White House Market, which only accepts Monero. 
The new Alpha Bay says it won't be a complete free-for-all, however. Notably, the market's rules ban advertising for a hitman, selling guns or COVID-19 vaccines, or any fentanyl-based substances. And it also prohibits any crime that targets Russians or its geopolitical neighbors, which perhaps provides a clue as to where the Alpha Bay administrators may be located. Following in the footsteps of other forums and marketplaces, with the Biden administration announcing a major crackdown on ransomware, Alphabet also claims to ban anything tied to ransomware. Other types of malware, however, remain fair game. So what we have here is yet another darknet market, albeit with some restrictions aimed at helping this market avoid the ire of certain authorities. Now, will users trust the site? Will law enforcement agencies find a way to disrupt it? If indeed the site isn't already a honeypot, they have created to lure buyers and sellers of illicit goods and services. All this remains to be seen. That's this week's ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time. Oh,